Act Three, Part Two of the Show Off by George Kelly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Three, Part Two. A door closes out at the right, and Joe steps up towards the mantelpiece to look off. That's Clara. She's been next door telephoning. She turns to her left and picks up her knitting from the table and sits down again. Clara comes in, slipping off the raincoat. Hello. Clara, hanging the raincoat up on the hook. How's it you're home so early, Joe? Aubrey enters from the hall door, smoking a cigar. The long threatening has come at last. Clara, coming forward, looking at him seriously. What? The big news. The steel thing? Joe laughs. Did they buy it, Joe? One hundred thousand dollars. First payment. They gave me the check this afternoon. Joe, you're not telling me the truth. Aubrey, coming forward. Something about the invention, Joe? Hello, Aubrey. Clara, coming down to her mother's right. Did they, Mom? So he says. They bought it this afternoon. Isn't that wonderful? Aubrey, extending his hand to Joe. Congratulations. Ha <laughs> ha, thanks. So, we put it over. Mrs. Fisher poisons him with a look. To the tune of 100,000 clackers. He swings above Aubrey, towards the hall door. Aubrey, turning and following him. No kidding. Joe, running up the stairs. The check's in the safe, down in the lawyer's office. Aubrey, calling up the stairs after him. Well, kid, you know what I always told you. Leave it to you to call the turn, Aubrey. Clara, running up to the hall door. Joe, come here and tell us something about it. Joe, calling back. I've got to get dressed, Clara. I'll tell you about it later. Aubrey comes forward at the left, laughing. But suddenly he becomes conscious of Mrs. Fisher's left eye, and his laugh freezes into a detached gaze out the window at the left. Mrs. Fisher, speaking to Clara. He's got to go down to see them people that bought the thing from him. Clara, coming forward to the center table. Why, what will Joe do with all that money, Mom? Mrs. Fisher, knitting. Heaven knows I don't. Have you any idea how much a hundred thousand dollars is? Joe says it's a one and a two knots, and then three more knots. Why, it's a fortune! Well, he brought it on himself. He'll have to tend to it. I'm sure I won't. Aubrey, coming towards the center table from the left. If he's a wise bird, he'll let me handle that money for him. Mrs. Fisher pins him with a look and her knitting slides to her lap. I could give him a couple of very fly tips on that. Mrs. Fisher, with dangerous steadiness. He don't want your tips, nor your taps, neither. We know about one tip you gave a man, and his arm has been in a sling ever since. Clara picks up the delineator from the table and moves over to the right to the buffet to look at the styles. That's all right, Mrs. Fisher. But if he's a wise bimbo, he'll take the droopin' left. He lowers the lid of his left eye, very mysteriously. 
and I'll double that money for him within the next two weeks. Mrs. Fisher resumes her knitting. And give him an extra pair of trousers. I guess he'd need an extra pair of trousers if he was sitting around waiting for you to double his money for him. Well, I'm telling you, Mother, he's an awful straw ride if he doesn't get in on some of that copper clipping that those people are writing me about. She looks at him hard. What is it? A copper mine this time? Tain't a mine at all. It's a mint. What are they writing to you about it for? They're writing to everybody. They must be. She resumes her knitting. Prospective investors. They hear a man's got a few dollars laying around idle, and they get in touch with him. Well, nobody's heard that you have any dollars laying around idle, have they? Aubrey, with a touch of consequence. Oh, I don't know. They may have. Mrs. Fisher stops knitting and leans towards him stonily, her left elbow resting on the table. Listen, boy, if you've got any dollars laying around idle, it'd be fitter for you to pay Frank Highland the money he paid to keep you out of jail than to be looking around for an investment for it in some old copper mine out in God knows where, that you don't know more about than them that's rotten to you about it. She knits again, indignantly. I know a whole lot about this proposition, Mrs. Fisher, and so do a lot of other people. Why, they say they can see enough copper in those rocks right now to keep this thing going for the next ten years. Mrs. Fisher, almost violently. They shoot that in there. Shoot copper into solid rocks, eh? Mrs. Fisher, putting her knitting down on the table and picking up the newspaper that Joe has left there. That's what I said. Aubrey turns away with a gesture of helplessness and moves across in front of the Morris chair to the window at the left. I read all about just how they do it in a magazine not two weeks ago. Looking at the paper... Then they shoot a lot of letters to the likes of you, and you shoot off about it. Amy, entering hurriedly from the hall door and coming forward to the center table. Mom, is it true what Joe says about the invention? Mrs. Fisher, looking sharply at something in the paper. Here it is in the paper. Aubrey moves across above the Morris chair towards the center table. Isn't that wonderful, Aubrey? Aubrey nods and smiles. Mrs. Fisher to Clara. I thought our Joe said it wasn't in here. Clara, moving a step or two from the buffet. What is it? Amy, leaning over her mother's left shoulder, looking at the paper. What does it say, Mom? Mrs. Fisher, reading. Mad motorist find $1,000 for reckless driving. Aubrey glides forward and crosses in front of the Morris chair to the window at the left again. Amy straightens up and gives a distressed look at Clara, who suggests, with a nod, that she go into the kitchen. Mr. Aubrey Piper of 903 Lehigh Avenue was arraigned today before Magistrate Lister of the 22nd and Huntington Park Avenue Police Station to answer the charge of having disregarded 
traffic signals at Broad Street and Erie Avenue last Monday evening, resulting in rather serious injuries to Mr. Joseph Hart, a traffic officer. The defendant was fined $1,000 for recklessness, disregard of traffic signals, and operating an automobile without a license. She lowers the paper to her lap and looks at Aubrey. Aubrey, turning from the window, and with a magnificent gesture. That's the law for you. He folds his arms and leans on the back of the Morris chair, looking straight out. What do you think of that, Clara? Clara, moving to the armchair below the buffet at the right. Well, it's all over now, Mom. Frank paid it. What did he pay it for? Clara, sitting down. Well, it was either that or go to jail, Mom, and you wouldn't want that on account of Amy. She opens the delineator. Well, Frank Highland didn't have to pay it. She sits, looking straight out, fuming. Amy's got a mother. Turning sharply to Clara. And you take that $1,000 insurance check that I gave you and give it to him as soon as ever you see him. I don't want Frank Highland going around paying out $1,000 bills on account of this clown. She looks bitterly at Aubrey, who looks at her with an expression as though he were trying to come to some conclusion as to the most effectual means of putting her in her place. It's bad enough for me to have to do it. Clara, calling to Amy. Amy! Amy, from the kitchen. What? Come here a minute. Mrs. Fisher puts the newspaper back onto the table and resumes her knitting. Aubrey strolls over and sits down at the left of the center table, reaching for the newspaper which Mrs. Fisher has just put down. Amy comes in from the kitchen. What? Here's the skirt I was telling you about. Amy comes forward to Clara's left, and they look at a certain skirt in the delineator. Aubrey deposits some ashes from his cigar on the little tray on the table, then sits back, takes a pair of tortoise-shell-rimmed glasses, with a black tape attachment for over the ear, from his vest pocket, and settles them on his nose. His mother-in-law gives him a look. Was that insurance man here today? Amy opens the left-hand drawer of the buffet and takes out a package of lifesavers. She takes one herself, then offers Clara one. Clara takes it, and the two continue their discussion of the styles and delineator. What do you want to know for? Aubrey, glancing over the evening paper. Nothing. I was just wondering if he got around this way today. Did he leave a paper here for me? Mrs. Fisher, knitting. He wanted to, but I told him not to waste his time. Aubrey looks at her narrowly. Talking to you about $50,000 policies. Well, what about it? Mrs. Fisher, looking at him. Nothing at all about it, only the man was laughing up his sleeve at you. Is that so? What else could he do? He knows you haven't the faintest idea of taking out any such policy. How do you know he does? Because he knows you're only a clerk, 
and that you don't get enough salary in six months to pay one year's premium on a policy like that. What were you doing? Handing out a line of gab about my business? Mrs. Fisher, quietly knitting again. You haven't got any business for anybody to hand out a line of gab about that I ever heard of. Amy moves slowly across above the center table, towards the left, picking up a newspaper. Well, whether I have any line of business or not, it isn't necessary for you to be gabbing to perfect strangers about it. Mrs. Fisher, getting mad. Then you stop gabbing to people about $50,000 policies on your $32 a week. Turning to him furiously. I told him that, too. Amy, touching Aubrey on the left shoulder as she passes back of him. Keep quiet, Aubrey. So he'd know how much attention to pay to you the next time you start. Amy moves forward to the Morris chair at the left and sits down. What else did you tell him? I told him the truth, whatever I told him. And I guess that's more than can be said for a whole lot you told him. She knits again. Aubrey, resuming his paper. A man would certainly have a swell chance trying to make anything of himself around this hut. Mrs. Fisher stops knitting and leans her elbow on the table. Listen, boy, any time you don't like this hut, you go right straight back to Lehigh Avenue to your two rooms over the Dago Barber Shop, and I'll be glad to see your heels. Stop talking, Mom. Nobody around here is trying to stop you from making something of yourself. No, and nobody's trying to help me any either. Only trying to make me look like a pinhead every chance they get. Nobody'll have to try very hard to make you look like a pinhead. Your own silly talk'll do that for you any time at all. I suppose it's silly talk to try to make a good impression. Mrs. Fisher, turning to him and speaking definitely. Yes, it's silly to try to make an impression of any kind, for the only one that'll be made'll be the right one, and that'll make itself. Well, if you were out in the world as much as I am, you'd very soon see how much easier it is for a fellow to get along if people think he's got something. Well, anybody that'd listen to you very long would know you couldn't have very much. Is that so? Mrs. Fisher, tersely. You heard me. Clara rises and moves towards her mother. Aubrey, reaching over to dispose of some more cigar ashes. People that are smart enough to be able to make it easier for you? Aubrey, that'll do. He is silenced and resumes his paper. Clara shows her mother a particular pattern in the delineator. Mom, that'd look good for the new black crepe de chine of yours, number 18, there in the middle. But I wouldn't want that bunch of fullness like that right there, Clara. Joe enters hurriedly from the hall door, wearing a clean shirt and collar, and with his face washed and hair combed. Well, you're always saying you look too thin, and I think... Joe, tell me something about the invention. Joe, crossing quickly to the hooks at the right for his coat. They telephoned for me this afternoon, about two o'clock and I got hold of Farley, and we went right over there. And they had the contracts all drawn up and everything. Clara, having moved up towards the hooks with him. 
Well, did they really give you a hundred thousand dollars for it? Aubrey gets up and moves around and up to the upper left-hand corner of the table. Joe, coming forward, putting on his coat. Checks in the safe, down in Farley's office. Aubrey, flicking some ashes from his cigar. Joe, what do you think we ought to do with that money? Joe tries to hide his laughter and steps down to his mother's right, and Clara comes forward and leans on the buffet. You know, it was a funny thing, Mom. When I first talked to the Myers and Stevens people, I was only to get $50,000 advance. And when I went up there today, they had the contracts all made out for 100000 And they're getting away with murder at that. Mrs. Fisher, turning to him impatiently. Oh, keep still, you. You don't know anything about this at all. I made them think I knew something about it. You made who think? The Myers and Stevens people. What are you talking about, Aubrey? Do you know? Certainly I know what I'm talking about. I went to see those people last Saturday afternoon after you told me they'd talk to you. Joe, crossing towards him to a point above the center table. And what do you do up there? Why, I told them that they'd have to double the advance if they wanted to do business with us. And what business was it of yours? Well, I'm Joe's guardian, ain't I? Who told you you were? Well, he's got to have somebody tend to his business, doesn't he? He's only a lad. Well, he doesn't need you to tend to his business for him. He tended to his business long before he ever saw you. He never landed a hundred thousand dollars, though, till he saw me, did he? Well, what did you say to them, Aubrey? Why, I simply told them that your father was dead, and that I was acting in the capacity of business adviser to you, and that, if this discovery of yours was as important as you had led me to believe it was, they were simply taking advantage of your youth by offering you fifty thousand dollars for it and that I refused to allow you to negotiate further unless they doubled the advance, marked it at their expense, and one half the net, sign on the dotted line. He flicks more ashes from his cigar. Well, did they know who you were? I told them that I was head of the house here. Mrs. Fisher grips the edge of the table, threateningly. And that I was also connected with the Pennsylvania Railroad. It's too bad they didn't know what you do down there and call your bluff. I beat him to it. I called theirs first. He strolls towards the left with a bit of swagger. Well, I certainly have to give you credit, Aubrey. That's the way the contract reads. Aubrey, straddling back again. I told it to them, and I told it to your lawyer, too. I'll have to give you a little present of some kind out of this, Aubrey. Aubrey, diminishing the suggestion with a touch of ceremony. You'll not give me any present, Joe. Give it to your mother. He strolls over to the left again. She'll need it more than I will. He comes forward at the left of the Morris chair. Amy, have you got the financial page there? Amy, handing him the newspaper. Is this it, Aubrey? Aubrey, taking it. Thank you. He crosses in front of her, to the chair at the left of the center table, and sits down. Amy gets up, looking at him wonderingly. Aubrey, you're wonderful. Aubrey, settling himself to look over the bond market, 
A little bit of bluff goes a long way sometimes, Amy. Isn't he wonderful, Mom? Mrs. Fisher prepares to resume her knitting. Mrs. Fisher, after a long sigh. God help me from now on. The curtain descends slowly, with Amy standing lost in admiration of the wonder of Aubrey. When the curtain rises again, Aubrey is reading. Mrs. Fisher is knitting. Clara is sitting reading the delineator over on the arm of the armchair at the right. Joe is putting on his overcoat and hat at the mantelpiece mirror. And Amy is sitting in the Morris chair at the left, just looking at Aubrey. The end of the play. End of Act 3, Part 2 End of Act 3 End of The Show-Off by George Kelly